The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com. Oh, yeah, back at it again, baby. It's the GM Junior Show with Russell Landy. Of course, your co-host here, Rick Saratella, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Check out the good folks over at sportsmanagementworldwide.com. And we've run through each and every position today. We wrap it up with the defensive back. So if you're just tuning in for the first time, buckle up double chin strap kind of episode and of course you can go back and check out all the positional previews on the archives now the draft is just hours away if you want to break into the agent world if you want to represent an agent this or represent a player this time next year as a certified nfl pa agent well then check out sportsmanagementworldwide.com they have the sports agent seminar eight weeks online and they will get you up to par very, very quickly so that you can be in the game. And our guest today can tell you <laughs> there is no downtime. The next draft cycle already begins. And whether that's scouting, recruiting as an agent, or getting that 2020 big board intact, he is Russell Landy. In Russ, we trust. He has guided us here uh, with the light through the night on the way to the 2019 NFL Draft. Of course, 20 years of scouting experience in the NFL, CFL, original XFL, and he joins us here on the hotline. Russ, welcome on in. How are we doing today, man? Getting a little anxious yet? You know, I'm getting excited, except the weird thing for me is this year, uh, the first night of the draft also happens to coincide with date night, so uh, I I will actually be at the movies. I won't even know who uh, who's being picked until I get home after date night. So what's the over-under on how many times we check the cell phone during the movie? <laughs> that, that, that's really going to be dependent on how crowded the theater is, because I don't want to get too many bad looks if I keep looking at my phone every 30 seconds. Right, right. Well, that's going to be an intriguing night, and, uh, you know, we're going to be looking forward to it. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter. He's at Russ Landy. I'm at NFL Draft Bible. Of course, the 2019 NFL Draft Bible now available for download. Go over to NFLDraftScout.com. Up there in the menu bar, you'll see the link for the 2019 NFL Draft Guide. And today is a defensive backs preview. Trust me, we're going to break it down. We're going to talk about them. Uh, But first, my pleasant surprise this week, Russ, I got your QB evaluations where, you know, you went – very in-depth into the quarterback evaluation process. And, of course, you know, you also have the football GM scouting course online at Sports Management Worldwide. So uh, I want, you know, I got a a taste of um, how you break down the quarterbacks. And it's a unique evaluation. I'll let you tell it from your own words. But I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, and I appreciate you sending that my way. Well, of course, man. And, you know, it's uh, it's something I've sort of become in love with. Uh, back when I was a gopher at the Rams, um, Coach Vermeil, uh was our head coach. And, and it was the year, and you'll remember this because you followed the draft, the year that Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning were coming out in the draft. Everybody sure. knew they were going one and two, and we had the six picks. So Coach Vermeil said, well, we know we're not taking somebody at six. But he asked our quarterback coach, and 
Mike White, who's been in the NFL at, at that time, had been in the NFL probably 30, 35 years. And he asked Mike to work with me and to come up with a system to try to use scouting, but also integrate some analytics into it to try to identify the next best quarterback in that year's draft. So we spent a lot of time, we watched a ton of film, took a ton of notes. We actually read a lot of books from other people in scouting and coaching to try to come up with categories that we could start charting in, plug them into an Excel spreadsheet, and try to see if we could figure something out. And while the we recommended the guy that we thought was the next best never became a starter, but he did have a 17-year career as a backup, was Charlie Batch. We thought he was clearly the next guy after those top two, and he did end up having by far and away the best career. And ever since then, I've just kept tweaking it and tweaking it, and it, it was a, a system that ranked Mark Bolger as a first-round pick, Tom Brady as a top-of-the-third-round pick, and since then I've continued to tweak it and each year to make it more efficient. It isn't 100% by any stretch, but what it helps me do is it weeds out a lot of guys that people fall in love with because of maybe arm strength or because of their background and having been coached by this person or being a great athlete. It, it sort of makes you look at everything in a quarterback, and I think that's the key. The quarterback's not just one trait. There's probably 30 or 40 things physically that could go into it and 150 mentally. So it tries to take all these things into consideration to give you at least a, a little glimpse as to the future success. So I love green quarterbacks. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. And to me, this year's quarterback class is one of the worst I've seen in a long, long time. Agree. And, you know, just one last follow-up on what you said. Of course, nothing is dummy-proof, but the more you can uh, eliminate error and risk, well then, hey, we're we're constantly evolving, constantly learning. That's the beautiful thing about uh, the NFL draft process. But, you know, the thing that struck struck a chord with me, Ross, is, you know, so much is made about how NFL teams have these analytics department. You just mentioned under Coach Vermeil, you were doing analytics. So this is something that's been around for decades. It just now has a fancy word, which is fine and okay. It's great that teams are embracing analytics. But let's not be uh, misperceived. This has been going on for a very long time. Oh, there's no question. I mean, I remember when Coach Vermeil came to the Rams, and he moved me into the office next to him and sort of made me his sort of personal gopher, admin person, whatever it may be. And one of my duties during the season was on Sunday night slash Monday morning, we would get a computer printout. It would print directly from California where this guy who was sort of the first person to ever analyze the play-by-play data that the NFL would compile, a guy named Bud Good, who used to be an IBM executive, if I remember correctly, and he would send this thing over and you remember this because although you're not as old as dirt as I am, you are older than uh, the, these 25-year-olds that are running around now. And it used to print out on one of these wide printers on the green and white paper with the dot matrix thing. And it would yeah. turn out to be 82 pages long. And my job was to go through that every Monday morning and identify the four or five or up to ten interesting trends that I saw, whether it was, hey, this team on third and seven really struggles with runs to this side or this team in different situations. And my job was to take that 82 pages, go through it, mark the things up, and just type a cover page and basically hand it to Vermeil, and then he would have his coaches say, okay, this is what we saw in the stats. Go watch film and see if we can figure it out. And, that, and at that point, I was out of the mix. He had other gopher stuff for me to do, but 
Coach is a Vermeil is one of the smartest guys you ever come across, and he was mm-hmm. one of the first ones to jump on board the fact that, hey, you have to look at every angle. And if computers can help increase your chance to win by 5%, you'd be foolish not to try to do that. Very, very interesting. Of course, uh, Coach Vermeil, a uh, early embracer of the NFL Draft Bible on our podcast many, many times. Um, what was that that gentleman's name again? One more time for the people at home, Ron, Ben? Bud Good. And I don't even know, I don't know what he's doing. Actually, if you look him up, I'm looking him up right now. Um, he's probably on an island somewhere having a cocktail with an umbrella in it somewhere. <laughs> he still probably has a website. Right for himself. And it's called BudGoodSports.com. And this go. is the place, and this is Vermeil knew him from somewhere. And this guy is a freak when it comes to computers and numbers. Now, I don't know how much he gets into the analytics of today. No idea. But all I can tell you is this guy was the guy that Vermeil trusted. And we would get those reports every week. And it was my job as the gopher to scour through them and see if there was anything in there that coach, that would help coach and help the team win. Because all that matters is winning. Everything else is secondary. No doubt about it. Uh, very good draft nuggets there uh, for all you draft nicks out there. Of course, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here breaking it down with the defensive backs preview. And it's uh, time to delve in to some of these defensive backs, Russ. You know, we've talked about the evolution of the scouting process on previous shows. We just discussed the evolution of how far analytics have come and been a part of the scouting process. How about the cornerback position? Because, you know, the last five years or so, and, you know, maybe Richard Sherman was the beginning of the trend, but it seems like, you know, not too long ago, um, you know, it was rare. You could count on one hand how many six-foot corners that run 4-4 in a, in a specific draft. There was only a handful of those guys. Now, I feel like if you're not six feet and don't run 4-4, you're kind of in the minority. It just seems like the cornerback position is, is one of these positions that has really evolved in terms of this uh, new era in the NFL. Well, there's no question. I mean, it's become clear and it's something that sort of Al Davis used to always say. Al was a big proponent of you can never have enough corners. He was a big guy. From what I was always told by different people that work for him is he dreaded cutting corners in training camp. He would rather keep extra guys and hide them on injury reserve because he felt that it's a one, one or two positions on defense, that and pass rusher, that you just can't have enough of because you're always going to be searching for more because it's just so vital. And I think in today's NFL, with three and four receiver sets becoming the norm, really the slot corner, that third corner, he's really a starter now. And it's almost to the point where that guy that's your fourth corner and sort of emergency safety type guy, he's on the verge of being a starter. So, I mean, you have to have quality corners. If you don't have quality corners today, teams, because of the analytics and because of the ability of the quarterback to throw so many balls accurately all over the field as opposed to 20 years ago. You didn't have that in your offense. They can identify. If you have a bad corner on the field, they're going to scheme and go right after that guy over and over. It was something Mike Marks did with the Rams when he was the offensive coordinator and then head coach, and it's just take it off. So good cornerback play is vital. Now, obviously, everybody wants the six-foot corner, but I will tell you, most teams still believe that it's, while it's great to have a six-foot-plus corner, 
you will take a 5'10 corner who is dramatically better than a 6'1 corner who is just a guy because in today's NFL, there's so many receivers that aren't above six feet. You can work with a corner that's in that 5'9", 5'10 range because it's just so hard to find really good corners. Yeah, you know, and I think that tackling has also uh, – scouts have placed our teams, you know, decision makers have placed greater emphasis on tackling abilities. And I feel like, you know, maybe another five years from now, it's we're almost borderline with the safeties and cornerbacks. It's like there are a, a lot of long guys, a lot of guys who can cover, a lot of guys who can tackle, especially this year's draft class. I mean, Chancey Gardner-Johnson from Florida, Darnell Savage from Maryland, uh, Juan Thornhill from Virginia. I mean, these guys are all on the safety board, even uh, Adderley from Delaware. But then you can uh, you can state a case that, hey, these guys might even get a look at cornerback at the next level. And I think, you know, to follow up on the tackling issue, I think that's a big reason why, you know, a guy like Greedy Williams from LSU who was uh, for most of the season thought to be the consensus number one cornerback as we get closer to the draft, Russ, and I start doing my mock draft scenarios, here's a guy that I see slipping. I'm not even sure he is the first cornerback off the board. How do you kind of see the cornerback class shaping up here? Well, firstly, you make a great point because 20 years ago or even 10 before passing became so much a part of what NFL offenses do, the most important thing you you had your quarterbacks for was covering. And obviously covering is still the primary thing, but the field is spread out. Sometimes you have nobody deep to help you or that deep guy is shaded to one side of the field or the other to provide a little over-the-top protection. So that means your other guys are exposed. So a corner who you could get away with years ago, not being a good tackle because you had two safeties coming to help out. Nowadays, a lot of times they're naked over the top. So a corner doesn't have to be a hitter, but he's got to be a guy who will come up and can stay on his feet and wrap up. Because a lot of times if he doesn't wrap up, it's a touchdown, or at least it's a Mm -hmm. 30-yard play before somebody tracks him up or tracks him down. So you really need corners to be consistent tacklers. They don't have to be great. And there have to be these guys that make it look pretty, but just get the guy to the ground. And that's why I think the one guy that I really like this year, and he's not, a, he's not as big as, say, the, the Murphy or the Williams guys, who are obviously almost 6'2", which is what every team dreams about. But the DeAndre Baker kid from Georgia, I mean, he looks smaller than 5'11". When you watch film, you'd almost guess this kid was about 5'9". But he plays like a 6'4 corner. And he comes up, and he's ready to sledgehammer guys. He will lower his head, and he will knock guys' heads off, and he almost always gets his man to the ground. So when I look at corners, yeah, I mean, the Williams kid is a freak talent. But, yeah, I mean, what you make a great point, which is a lot of teams now, that emphasis on at least being able to get the guy to the ground is so important that teams will sometimes say, you know what, a horrible tackler is a guy we got to be concerned about. Now, the one thing that's important to remember is if a guy's a horrible tackler, but you see the effort, and you see he's tough enough that he's not afraid of contact, you can usually turn him into at least a good enough tackler if he's competitive and tough. What scares you when you look at corners that are bad tacklers is when you have guys that are bad tacklers that shy away from contact and almost always lunge at the guy's feet without using good technique. Mm. Those are the guys that terrify you because it's not like they're missing because 
they're just not doing it right. They're missing because they don't want to be involved in that physical hitting. And that's what scares you. As long as the guy's willing and he's tough, you can usually teach him. It's just like in basketball. If the guy's willing to be a rebounder and he gives a great effort on every attempt and he just doesn't know what he's doing, I can usually make him a good rebounder. But in the NFL, if you're not willing to come up and hit, oh, it's hard to make you a good tackler. It's very scary. And that's one of the things I think Baker, he, to me, says he'll be not only a good corner in the NFL, but he'll be a very consistent tackler and hitter because of his willingness to come up and his willingness to try to do it the right way. No, very important. And, uh, you know, you got to be able to be willing to do more than, you know, just stick your arm out there. I think that's the thing is too many times these corners, they just want to stick their arm out there. You see the running back bust loose, break the tackle, the arm tackle. And, and like you said, he's he's gone in the dust for uh, six points on the board. Uh, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella breaking down defensive backs here on the GM Junior Show, episode number seven. We ran through all the positions. We're breaking it down now just hours away from the 2019 NFL draft in Nashville. Uh, you heard him say DeAndre Baker, his number one corner. It'll be interesting to see. I don't see know if he's because... number one. I I, I, okay. I got him and the Murphy kid. I, uh, okay. I, I like the Murphy kid from Washington. He, he, they're very different. Murphy's just sort of a freak gone wild in terms of athletically, lengthwise. I would put those two as my co-number one. Very different, and you take them in different systems. But those two are my top two guys. Yeah, and younger guys, too. Redshirt sophomore Murphy and a junior for Baker. Okay, so if Murphy and Baker are your top two guys, are there any other corners in the first-round mix, in your opinion? Well, first, I, mean, I think Williams, you have to – I mean, he's definitely a first-round guy. I mean, if you're looking for – if you're a team that's going to put a corner out there and you want six-foot-plus guys, I mean, that, you're talking about kids with feet and with hips. I mean, he can do a lot of really good things. I like him. Um, the kid that I sort of think is, is not getting as much love, I really liked his film when I saw him as a kid, Rock Yasin from Temple. Um, sure. He's not going to be a first-round guy, I don't think. But I think, I mean, I don't think. I think there's a chance he slips in. I think he's more likely a second-round guy. But he's a kid I think is getting a little overlooked by people. He, now, I haven't done the deep dive and done eight games of film on him, but when I saw him live and in a few games I have seen of film, he does some good things. He's only 5'11", 6", but when you watch him play, he plays a little bit longer, knows how to use his hands. He's a very intriguing corner that I think has got a chance to be better than people are giving him credit for when he gets to the NFL. No, I agree. Uh, you know, I think and, – and that kind of leads me into my next question, which was going to be who are some – you know, every year there's guys taken on day two, and even day three for that matter, who outperform some of those guys who go in round one – Rock Yassin is a guy that I was going to mention. I think we saw a couple at the Senior Bowl. Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky. Now he has his warts, but he also flashed some big time. We talked about hitting. Yep. <laughs> he was blowing up dudes all over the place down in Mobile. Uh, and then a small school guy like Corey Ballantine from Washburn, I'll throw into the mix. I'm not sure if he goes day two. Maybe he's day three. But Jawan Williams, we talk about the value of that 40-yard dash the value of long corners. Here's a guy I feel like Jawan Williams, if he ran just a little bit faster, we might be considering him as a day one guy. Oh, I think you're right. And I, and I still think it wouldn't shock me to see some team at the end of the first throw a dart on him because there are some teams that they're going to look at Williams and say, wait a second, we got a 6'3 corner. 
We can put him out and let him just physically beat up big receivers. We can also roll him out, play him at safety, and we can even move him up and play him as sort of that will linebacker in that Dale Buchanan mold in, in some sort of adjusted defensive schemes where we really want to get more, defend, more DBs on the field, but we don't want to get tiny. And that's the guy, because of that size and that versatility, I think teams are going to like the fact that they can move him around. I think that's going to push him up the board over some other corners. You mentioned the Valentine kid from Washburn, really intriguing kid. The other small school kid I'll also mention, we both saw him at the East-West game, is the Jimmy Moreland kid from James Madison. I mean, oh, yeah. admittedly, when you see him in person and when you watch him on film, he literally looks like he's a sixth-grade football player. He looks like he's, you could eat peanuts off his head. He's so small. But when you look at his foot quickness, his agility, his hips, I mean, he, he's got all of that plus. He plays that with that aggressive physical nature. He'll come up and he'll knock guys' heads off. He's a very good special teams player. I think both Ballantyne and Moreland are guys that when you're talking day three, these are guys I think could be guys that come in, contribute, and I think both these guys have a chance to be starters, whether it's as a slot or an outside guy, within two years. They're both, to me, really intriguing small school football players. Well, you know what, Russ, that's a uh, little uh, confirmation, you know, for me because I have the Saratella All Scrappy team coming out later on today, and both <laughs> Valentine and Moreland made the list, baby. But no, I agree wholeheartedly, and you know, I asked wide, I asked, uh, spoke to wide receivers at both the East West Shrine game and the Senior Bowl. I said, hey, who, who's the toughest corner you went up against out here today? And practice after practice, the one name that kept popping up, Jimmy Moreland. And I was shocked. I mean, I thought that was a glaring omission from the NFL Combine. I could not figure out why he was not there. No, you're you're 100% right. And it's so important, I got to tell you, because scouts can do all the scouting we want. You can do all the analytics. Coaches can watch all the film. But what you just mentioned, where you said you talk to receivers, that is so important because – when you can talk to the players they go against, whether it's the receivers for corners or the tackles telling you about which edge pass rushers or the, or the guards and centers about which interior guys, that is huge because when you can get it from the person who's blocking him or the person who's trying to run routes against him, it really adds a perspective that you cannot get from watching film, from talking to coaches. You get it from the players that have gone against them. That's a great thing. That's a great way to get a feel for which guys truly are better than the others sometimes. It's really a good insight. And I love that you're doing that. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, historically, you know, that's something, luckily I, I learned early on that, you know, that was where the real value, you know, for me being at the senior bowl, you know, I already know who these guys are. Uh, if I don't know who these guys are going into the senior bowl, I didn't do my job. But the real value for me is like you said, talking to the players and getting from them, I like to ask who the toughest guy they face, and then also who are some guys that we should look out for next year on your team. And, you know, historically speaking, there there seems to be a lot of uh, valid responses over the course of time. Uh, I agree. It's one of the best indicators because, you know, especially at these all-star game events, the cream always rises to the top. So, you know, whether it's Jimmy Moreland at corner, Dalton Reisner, was a guy that the defensive lineman at the senior bowl, I mean, they, they just did not like going up against Reisner and I don't blame him. He's a feisty guy. And, you know, and I'll give you a great example. I remember one year at the Browns and I I wish I could remember the name of the player, but 
when we were interviewing old linemen, every one of them from one conference, and I want to say it was the Big 12 PS, every one of them who was the hardest guy you went against and the easiest guy. Every single person named the guy that was rumored to go in the top 15 as the easiest guy they blocked all year. Hmm. I mean, like eight guys. So it got our antenna up, and we said, we got to go figure out how this can be because we have very high grades on them. Everybody's talking about this kid's top 15 or 20 pick. And we went back and watched a lot more film and saw that a lot of his production, and it wasn't that he was unblocked. It was often when the whole lineman, he wasn't paying attention to him or there was confusion. And when he started to make a pass rush move, they would let him go. And we really, it was a great sort of thing for us to identify. And we really had to go back and do so much work that we lowered his grade when we did more film study because it made us really go and really dive deep into why was this guy being successful. And it wasn't his talent. So what you're doing with talking to the receivers at the East West and the Super Bowl, it carries a ton of weight. Well, you know, and to your point, it's another reason why you can't, put too much stock into, into statistics, you know, and you say, yeah. Oh, well, Jalen Ferguson, he was the all time leading sack rusher. Well, there's a reason why you don't hear his name coming up in the first round. And, you know, he's going to be an intriguing guy, much like Terrell Suggs coming out who, whose sack record he broke Suggs falling to the second round. And who knows? It's not to say that Ferguson can't be a, a top edge rusher, but you know, um, that's the kind of, analysis you know for that 2019 nfl draft bible we get to talk to all three all-star games the only media outlet to do that and you know you can get that over at the nfl download the draft guide and we appreciate all the love and support we appreciate you tuning in to the podcast like it subscribe it share it itunes Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, NFLDraftScout.com. Uh, the response has been incredible for this podcast, so we thank you all for that each and every week tuning in. Of course, Russell Landy, Rick Saratella here breaking down the defensive back, counting you down to Nashville, baby. And, uh, you know, Russ, the, the safety position is intriguing. I just got done. Again, I'm going to be posting this up on the website, the top 100. And the safety group is intriguing because – I think it's a very talented group in terms of depth. And I think there's going to be a run on safeties at some point in the middle rounds. Now I'm curious to get your opinion as to whether it's the end of day two, early day three, the way it shook out for me. Okay. I have six, only six safeties in the top 100 overall players, but I could probably look at my board and say in that fourth round, uh, there could be another six safeties off the board in, in, in that first round of day three very easily, maybe even more, the way these guys are bunched together. Do you feel like teams may wait and sit back on the safety position? Because the way I see it, you ask ten different evaluators who your top safety is, you might get five different answers. Oh, there's no question. I think it, it, it's what I think it's going to do is you're going to see them drop a little in the first because teams are going to say, well, there's so much talent, we can wait. But I think what you're going to see is in the middle of the second, you're going to see a run start. Because once somebody jumps on the, there's going to be a safety that goes somewhere probably between 18 and 30, just or maybe 35, just because that's how it always is. Someone takes a guy you're not expecting. Once somebody jumps on that second safety, which I think will be the early to middle part of the second round, then I think you're going to see teams running. Because whether it's you have Abram or Adderley or Savage or, even if it's a hooker 
or even a kid like a kid like Bell from Fresno State, whoever that mm-hmm. kid is that you have third or fourth, you're going to be nervous that the guy you like, because every team's going to have him ranked differently, and every team's going to have a separation at some point where it's their third guy or their fourth guy or even their fifth guy, and then there's a big drop. So once that second guy goes, teams are going to start by saying, hey, we don't want to miss out. We only have two more guys we like. I think in that mid-second round to the mid-third round, you're going to see probably about four to five safeties go because you don't know which one is the top guy on every team's board, and nobody wants to come out of this draft without having gotten one of the safeties they were aiming to get. So I think you're going to see a run on safeties. It's a unique class because I don't think there is one guy that is so far above everybody else that you have to go get him. There's no Sean Taylor here. There's no truly special guy like that. But I think when you look at the safeties, and I mean, I'm a big fan of the Adderley kid. I think that's a kid who hasn't gotten enough uh, credit because he played at a smaller school at Delaware. This kid's a really good football player. But when you look at the safeties issue, there are a lot of guys you look at and say, well, this kid could be a versatile guy because, like you mentioned, safety, corner, slot guy, you could move them around. I I think it's a great class, although, like I said, there isn't that one guy at the tip-top that's going to make you get all excited like a Sean Taylor. No, I agree. I, I feel like the the tough, maybe the toughest position to pinpoint a consensus guy was that safety. I feel like even today I woke up and, and my top safety today was different than yesterday. You know, it's like, what's your flavor of the week? And I think it's really going to depend on, you know, a team case by case basis, what they, what they need, what they're looking for. Uh, with that being said, who are some of the guys, in your opinion, you mentioned Adderley, who are some of the guys here in the mix to be a candidate as the first safety or two off the board? You know, I mean, I think, obviously, everybody talks about Deontay Thompson, the kids from Alabama. I mean, he's probably the most well-known. He's highly productive at Alabama. I mean, to me, the kid Savage from Maryland, um, just a kid that his film at Maryland was ridiculous. Um, for a team that came into the Big Ten a number of years ago and really has struggled to really sort of solidify themselves as a top-end team, this kid made a lot of plays against very good opponents. Um, he's not your prototypical guy because he's under 5'11", so a lot of teams are going to be leery of that. But I think today's NFL, when you look at what he brings to the table, almost 5'11", almost 200 pounds, running in the four threes all day, you think about that guy lining up at safety, being able to play Either safety spot, right or left, you can move him around. You can flex him down to cover running backs, cover tight ends. He can even come down to be a slot corner at times because he's got the speed to recover. You could put him out of corner if you need to. I mean, this guy, to me, his versatility, he really gives you something to work with. I think him and Adderley are two guys that are not getting enough credit in this draft. It wouldn't shock me if one of them ends up being the second safety taken in the draft and if both of them are gone by pick 50. These are both really good football players. Uh, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough, uh, shout out to Test Football Academy, to, to be around Savage during the draft process because he was here in New Jersey training leading up to the draft. And, you know, I had at least half a dozen hand times on this kid before the combine. And, you know, every single time he was consistent as hell, four two eight, four three five between that range. So, you know, when he ran four three one official or whatever it was in Indy, that was not a surprise at all. But, you know, the thing that you appreciate just being around this kid is he just gets it. You know, he's he's not a he's not a boisterous guy, but he has a presence about him. He commands respect. 
but he's humble and he's a leader and he knows his role. And this guy is going to transi- transition so seamlessly to the next level. And I think that's invaluable. You know, the people say, you know, is there value to coaching in the senior bowl or, or the shrine? Of course, because the more you can be around these guys, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, just to eliminate the risk or the error. The more you can be exactly. around these guys, at some point in time, their guard is going to come down. It's just human nature, right? I mean, you can't always be on guard. And so, you know, if you could spend chunks of hours of a day around somebody, you see how they respect others. You see how they work with teammates. You see how they interact, how they treat the janitor. I mean, old cliche, but very true. And this kid checks off all the boxes in terms of intangibles. Now, you know, like you said, a little undersized. Okay, well, we can live with that. Why? Because he's got the speed, the quicks, the closing ability, the willingness to tackle, all the things we've discussed throughout the podcast, Darnell Savage. And listen, uh, there's a guy, not a lot of people, you know, we saw Ian Rappaport talk about, (laughs) you know, a virtual unknown now being considered for the first round. Well, you know, that's why you tune into NFL Draft Bible Radio, because (laughs) we've been tooting the the Darnell Savage horn for quite a while. And, you know, that is not a shock if you're into the draft like we are. That's how we do it. Uh, Russ, last one for you here. You know, obviously we've uh, enjoyed your analysis, but, you know, so, you know, really, honestly, my favorite part of the podcast are when you can take us behind the scenes, inside the war room, two decades of scouting experience with professional football organizations. You know, give us a war story. Give us a, a, a battlefield lesson in scouting in terms of, you know, a defensive back that uh, you can recall, you know, being involved with or a part of selecting uh, that you can share with us. Well, I'll, I'll give you two stories. Neither one of these players we ended up selecting, but to me they point to one is just you have to be willing to stand on the table. And and I was a Blesto scout for the Browns, so as a Blesto scout, I went out in the spring at the end of their junior year, and I would work kids out, highway speed them, want to lick questionnaire, meet the kids, watch the film, and give them a grade so that NFL teams would have a grade going into the fall. And the one kid I met when he, that after his junior year was Bob Sanders, a safety out of Iowa. And first, they're just sure. meeting him at Iowa. They're, they're really good about letting you meet all their kids. And you don't get hours with them, but you get two minutes with each kid. You can at least get a feel for their personality. And instantly when you met Bob, you could sense this is the alpha dog of the whole team. I mean, this was the leader of the team. And that's rare for a safety to be the leader of the whole team, offense, defense, all nine yards. And then when you see him work out, and you saw that this kid was chiseled out of granite, played like his hair was on fire every game, you fell in love with him. So I was already in love with him then. Then when you watch the film as a senior, he's playing with a bro- part of a, a broken bone or two in his foot, played awesome as a senior, even though he was in pain every game and struggled to practice. I fought for him every day in, in our meetings. Now, I couldn't win the battle because for whatever reason, and I understand, he's 5'8", and history says 5'8", he's failed in the NFL. So I get it. We had some great battles about him. But what was ironic was in the same draft, there was another kid named Stuart Schweiger, um, a safety out of uh, Purdue, who mm. could not have looked apart more. Six foot, two and a half, 215, ran in the low four fives, phenomenal tester, looked literally like the prototypical safety. Yet his film was absolutely awful. And our area scout who covered him gave him a free agent grade. I cross-checked it, gave him a free agent grade. 
And we, our director of college scouting hated. And this is a great lesson to me. This tells you why teams make mistakes, and it happens even to this day. We had a really good defensive coaching staff there at the Browns, guys who I think are phenomenal. But I still remember the defensive coordinator, the secondary coach, and the corner coach saying, hey, we watched the first half of one game, and this kid was so bad. Schweiger was talking about They said he was so bad, we said, don't even waste our time. However, wow. when we went to Purdue's pro day, he worked out so well, and we put him through so many drills, we now think he's the second best safety in the draft, and they put him ahead of Bob Sanders. They literally just finished the sentence saying he was so bad on film, they turned off the film. Yet because they worked it out, they now felt he was better than Bob Sanders. And it took every inch, and, and, and myself and the area scout, who was the main guy, and myself, fighting against the coaches to say, hey, we cannot take a guy in the second round and put him that high on our board. When you literally said his film was so bad that you don't want him, and nobody on the scouting staff thinks he's even draftable. So we were able to fight and fight and fight. We got him pushed down to like the fifth round. So at least he wouldn't be an early consideration. Luckily, um, the Raiders ended up taking him in the third round, and he washed out of league within two or three years. It was, but it's one of those things where that's what makes scouting DBs, and especially safeties, so difficult is the position requires such great athleticism to be successful in the NFL that sometimes you'll forgive film problems because you know that there are a lot of good college players who just aren't athletic enough, but you need to have an elite athlete. So you can eliminate some of those good college players because they're not athletic enough. But when you come across a freak athlete, sometimes coaches fall in love with, hey, I can teach them, I can make them better, which is the beauty of being a coach because you're a teacher. But, oh, in this case, it was, if we had drafted Schweiger, it would have been a disaster. You know, it's there's so many things I would love to follow up on, but just a couple quick points. I think a lot of times, myself included, it's hard to not fall in love with the rare athleticism, and you see it at the pro day, and, and it's the final impression. It's the lasting yep. image you have this prospect. And the other point to, to this story, which is mind-blowing because I don't care what you say, Bob Sanders was just as valuable as any Colt when they won that Super Bowl, as any Colts player, Peyton Manning included. I don't care what you say. Bob Sanders was that vital to that team. And, you know, my last question for the show, Russ, is how much do coaches' egos – get in the way, I mean, where do you draw the line in terms of allowing the coach's scouting evaluation to dictate where he lands on the draft board? Is it, you know, once you get into the war room, he's cut off? Or are the coaches, I mean, every team is different, but how do you view, do you view having coaching input in the war room on draft day? Is that a, a benefit or is it a, a mistake or does it depend on who the coach is? Well, I, I think it, it, every case is different because it, it's not – I didn't tell that story to not coaches because there are some coaches who put in the time and the effort and they really grade the film and they watch the film, they talk to the kids. Coaches can be just as good, if not better, evaluating players than scouts. It's really a matter of how much coaches, A, put in the time and effort to do the evaluation, but B, and this is the biggest thing, and, and I think it's the beauty and the danger of coaches. The beauty is – a coach, another word for a coach is a teacher. 
And what does every teacher do from when it's a kindergarten teacher all the way to being a coach in the NFL is they believe they can get the best out of every student they deal with. So a coach inherently believes, hey, if this is a good kid who works hard, who everybody speaks highly of as a person, and he's a tremendous athlete, and although he's not great on film, but he's, he flashes, I can teach him. And that's the beauty of coaches, because remember, there are also so many players in the NFL. Jared Belzer, a perfect example, an offensive tackle who came out of Hillsdale, who was a bad player at Hillsdale. But he was a freak athlete at 6'7", 320, who could move his feet. And he was coached into a 10-year starter in the NFL. So while it may frustrate at times the drafting to sort of drafting based on what they will be once I teach them, there is something to it. And that's where, to me, the great teams, the teams that are run well, whether it's the coach having the final say or the GM having the final say, it's a matter of working together to try to take the guys that you think can really be developed and make sure you're identifying the correct guys that you think can improve through coaching and eliminating the guys that, you know what, they have too many of the traits of players that never improve with coaching. So I don't think it's that coaches shouldn't be involved or they shouldn't be involved as much as scouts. I think it's all they have to work together and they all have to be on equal footing. And as long as you're working together to do it and you're not falling in love with one thing or another and you're working as a group, you have a chance to be excellent. And I think both sides can bring unique perspectives because scouts look at the film and grade what the player is and what the character is. And coaches look at the skill set and say, what can I teach that player to do at the next level? How does he fit in my system? And finding the balance between the scout and the coach, that's often where the GM and the coordinators come in. And figuring that mix out, to me, is the key for success in terms of making sure everybody's on the same page. Very insightful information. If you're just tuning in and wondering who is that voice, that sounds like the next NFL GM. He is Russ Landy here on the GM Junior Show with your co-host Rick Saratella. That's going to wrap it up for our seven-episode series of the GM Junior Show here with Russ Landy. We broke down every position. Uh, It's been an honor and a privilege here, Russ, to run through uh, each position every week leading up to the draft. Of course, uh, two decades of pro scouting experience and, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of in the uh, same boat as some of these prospects. We don't know where your next potential destination is going to <laughs> be. But, uh, you know, parting shot for the people. Any message out there uh, you want to let the listening audience at home know about? You know, the biggest thing I'll tell everybody, if you're listening to this, clearly you love football. And if you really want to work in football, it doesn't have to be at the NFL level. It's just you want to work in football. It's an amazing career. I've been fortunate enough to do it over 20 years. Rick's been doing this nearly 20 years. Very few people get to follow their dreams. If you love it, follow your dream. And if you want to learn about it, come to SMWW, Sports Management Worldwide. I teach a class on football scouting, and it's an eight-week course. And it will help you figure out, is this something you really want to do for a career, or is this something that, you know what, I don't think I'd enjoy it as much as I would hope. It'll give you an idea as to where you stand. But if you love football and you think this is something you want to do for a living, don't let things stand in your way. You have an opportunity to pursue your dream and do what you love for a living. No doubt about it. And the the beautiful thing is you don't have to quit your day job just yet. You could take the online course, like you said, find out if it's for you. Because I know exactly. we, we get a lot of – 
we get a lot of interns, some of them from SMWW, some of them not. We get a lot of interns, Russ, and they, they see the glitz and glamour of the NFL draft this weekend, but they don't want to be a part of the Excel spreadsheet that we're assembling the other 350 exactly. a year, right? Yep. That's exactly <laughs> so, You don't know how many scouts get into the business, work for a college or an NFL team, and two years in they say, yep, this ain't for me. I don't like spending 100 or 150 days a year in a hotel. I'm out. And they get out, and that's fun. But if you love it, and you find you love it once you've been doing it a while like I do, there's nothing better in the world than loving your job. Oh, no doubt. It's awesome. It is a lot of travel. It is a lot of tedious work. No doubt about that. And, uh, again, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella here at the GM Junior Show, presented by Sports Management Worldwide. Make sure you check out all their online courses at sportsmanagementworldwide.com. And you know what? We're going to do a couple of uh, draft preview shows, recap previews. We'll try to get Russ on and see what his schedule is and uh, keep you all posted on the Twitterverse. Of course, make sure you go give Russ a follow at Russ Landy. That's a must follow. Of course, at NFL Draft Bible. You can go download the 2019 NFL Draft Bible right now at the NFLDraftScout.com, right up there in the menu bar, 2019 NFL Draft Guide. We appreciate all the love support and listeners and best believe just because the draft ends this week doesn't mean our draft chatter ends no we're just beginning it's the 2020 draft we'll be back in that may so stay tuned for that uh we can't stop we won't stop till the next edition thank you everyone The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com.